You know, there's nothing that just comes easy in this world. Good things aren't just handed to you. You have to work hard for them. You have to fight for things. If you want to be happy in life, you have to work at it. Man, if you're struggling with anything, if you're struggling with any hurts and hang-ups and habits, you have to take an initiative like Rochelle did, like Rochelle's doing. It may mean going to counseling. It may mean being completely honest with somebody that you could trust, a close friend. It may mean coming to celebrate recovery on Thursdays at 7 o'clock. You see, God gives you a path, but you have to take the steps. But anything worthwhile in your life You have to fight for anything. If you want good health, if you want a fit rock and bod, it doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. You have to exercise to be healthy. You have to eat right. No one just wakes up one morning with a six-pack of hard abs. (laughs) Let me clarify that one. If you want a strong marriage, it takes work to make a strong marriage. Emily taught about this a few weeks back. You can go to the JAR app and listen to it. You have to fight for your marriage. If you want your kids to succeed, you're going to have to fight for your kids. You have to fight to balance your life sometimes between work, school, and family. This balance takes time. This balance takes effort. And you know what? Living a Christian lifestyle is a battle. Being Christ-like takes work. We have to fight to honor God in the way that we live our lives. We have to fight to be people of integrity. We have to fight to be people of character. We have to fight to be a person that represents Jesus Christ by the way that we walk and by the way that we talk. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there is a lot of fighting in the Bible. A lot of fighting in the Bible. In fact, all through it, we read about wars We read about battles. One of the most often used analogies in the Bible is that of a soldier. The Bible uses war terms to describe how we need to live our lives when we follow Christ. Words like fight, conquer, strive, battle, overcome, victory, these are all war terms. And I think the reason that the Bible speaks so often in war terms is because so much in life depends upon how we fight. The Bible encourages us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. See, if you want to be all that God created you to be, if you want to do... 
all that God created you to do, you have to fight. It's not just handed to you. In the book of Joshua, God promised the children of Israel the promised land, but they had to fight for it. And see, there are things that God wants to do in your life, but you have to fight for it. And whether you know it or not, when you make that decision, when you make that commitment to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you just entered a war. Battle lines are drawn and you just chose a side. And let me make this perfectly clear to anyone in here that may be new to faith. You chose the winning side. Because the outcome's already been determined. You can read the final chapter. It's Revelation. Your eternal destiny is secure. Your salvation is sealed. Your name's written in the book of life. You're not fighting anymore for that. That battle's over. But the battle continues in this life. And how you fight will determine how you fulfill your destiny in this life. This is what we are going to talk about this morning. I've named this teaching the battle. And I'm going to share with you today two battles that every single one of us face. Two battles that if not fought properly... They have the potential to destroy your life. I'm going to explain to you what these battles look like, how these battles are fought, and then I'm going to show you what the weapons that the Bible says God has given to us to be victorious. So two battles that we face. First battle I want to talk about is the battle around us. The battle around us. See, for thousands of years, soldiers have known that to defeat your enemy, you must know your enemy. The better you know your enemy, the way he moves, the way he attacks, the kind of weaponry he uses, the more you can be prepared to defeat him. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says we're not fighting against human beings. We're fighting against spiritual forces and the powers of darkness in the unseen spiritual world. See, the Apostle Paul who wrote this is telling us that we're not fighting a normal enemy. We're fighting against spiritual forces, forces that we don't even see, spiritual forces of evil. We're talking about demonic stuff. See, this is stuff that nobody likes to talk about. This kind of stuff makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to be scared in church. Let's talk about grace. 
And for some weird reason, believing in the devil seems to be like an old superstition. It's almost an old wise tale anymore. And I think that's one of Satan's greatest victories is convincing us that he doesn't exist. But the Bible says he does exist. And it gives us a clear portrait of who he is and how he affects our lives. And the Bible defines Satan as an angelic being who fell from his position in heaven and is now completely opposed to God. Is completely opposed to any person of God. His very name means adversary or one who opposes. He's the ultimate source behind every false cult. Behind every false world religion. He does everything in his power to turn people away from God. Now let me tell you how this battle around you is fought. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, our adversary has studied us and has coordinated a plan of attack aimed at keeping us from enjoying our lives in Christ. Scripture says he's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He is the master of deception. In 1944... The Allies knew that in order to win World War II, they would have to invade German-occupied France. And Hitler knew that the invasion would come from England and that it would have to take place on the coast of France. Why? Because the Allies would have to land on a beach that could be protected by air power. And the fighter planes flying out of southern England had a range of 400 miles. So landing sites had to be within 200 miles of these beaches. So there was only three feasible locations that the Allies could land. Poste de Calais. Shoreburg. Or the Normandy beaches. The Nazis knew the Allies were coming. But they didn't know when. And they didn't know where. What happened next. Was one of the most complex deceptions ever. Operation Fortitude. Was launched to convince the Germans that the invasion would come at Poste de Calais. The Allies created a fake army led by old blood and guts himself, General George Patton, complete with inflatable tanks, inflatable trucks, inflatable planes. All to fool the German photo reconnaissance into believing that this large army was mobilizing. They would even go as far as to move everything around at night with rollers. To make tracks to look like this army was on the move. To look like this army was advancing. 
They then sent hours of fake transmissions that were intercepted. Hitler took the bait. He positioned a large force at Passe de Calais. And the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy. It was a shrewd deception. It was a diversion tactic. And I tell you this because Satan uses the same tactic on us. Someone comes to Christ and man, they're fired up. They're excited. They're coming to church. You see all these changes that God's doing in their lives. And then, suddenly you don't see them anymore. They slowly stop coming to church. And when you talk to them, when you ask them where they've been, it's always the same thing. I just got busy. My life just got busy. The kids are involved in all these things. There's just a lot of stuff going on. Things just got hard all of a sudden. Diversion tactic. Deception. If I get you focused on these things, you're not going to notice these things anymore. Over here. See, Satan will use any tactic. Satan will use any strategy. He will study you. He will study you and he will look for your weakness because we all have weaknesses. He'll exploit them. He'll use temptation like he tried with Jesus. He'll use false doctrine trying to get you to deny what is true. He may use division doing what he can to come between you and other Christians. He wants to give you reasons to turn your back. Well, I'm leaving there. Then That person was mean to me. They didn't say hi to me at church. See, he wants to make you doubt. He wants to make you question things. John 10 verse 10 says, The evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy is out to destroy you. You see why it's so important to fight? The battle around us can destroy our lives. Second battle that we face. The battle within us. The battle within us. So the first battle was on the outside. This battle is on the inside. There was a farmer. He lived alone in the Irish countryside, except for a pet dog that he dearly loved. One day the dog died, and the heartbroken farmer, he went to the Catholic church inquiring if a mass could be performed For his dead dog. Father Patrick told the farmer, no, we cannot have services for an animal in this church. 
But I tell you what, there's a new denomination down the road. Hard telling what they believe in. Maybe they'll do something for your animal. So the farmer thanked him, and he said he'd go right away. And as he was leaving, he turned back around and he said, By the way, do you think $50,000 is enough to donate for such a service? To which Father Patrick replied, Well, why didn't you tell me your dog was Catholic? Now that was a joke, but it's also a good example of how this battle that I'm talking about works. Because in each one of us, there is a side that wants to do what's right. But also, in each one of us is a side that tends to make decisions when the moment feels right. See, this is a battle between our old nature and our new nature. An old nature that wants to do wrong. It wants to do stuff that's bad for us. It wants to do stuff that messes up our lives, that messes up our relationships. And a new nature which Christ gives us when we become a believer that wants to do what's right. Wants to do what's good. Wants to do what's pure. So we have an old nature that wants to do what's easy, what's convenient, what's pleasing, and a new nature that wants to do what God wants, wants to do His will, His purpose. This is the battle within us. And you see, Paul describes this civil war inside of us in Romans 7, verse 22 and 23, where he says, I want to do God's will as far as my new nature is concerned. But there's something else deep within me. My old nature is at war with my mind and it wins the fight. It makes me a slave to the sin still within me. So I want to concentrate for a moment on that line there. My old nature is at war with my mind because this is the key to this battle. Because Satan knows if he can get your attention, if he can get you thinking about something, then you're well on your way to doing it. Because it all starts with the mind. It all starts with that thought. And it only takes a tiny thought to begin a massive invasion of your body. So June 6th, 1944, after months of preparation and deception, General Dwight D. Eisenhower launched his attack on German-occupied France. 150,000 ground troops on boats leave England, cross the English Channel, heading for beaches, codenamed Juno, Sword, Gold, Omaha, and Utah. As the landing crafts approach these beaches, 15,000 aircraft and 7,000 ships provide a coordinated aerial assault. 
This invasion would be the largest military onslaught in human history. Operation Overlord. What we know as D-Day had one objective. To gain a foothold. And a foothold is a firm or secure position that provides a base for further advancement. You see, it was crucial that for France to be liberated, the Allies had to gain a foothold in order to set up what the military calls a beachhead. Which is a beach on an enemy's shore that an invading army takes and controls in order to prepare for the arrival of more soldiers and supplies. So due to the deception that I spoke of earlier, some of these beach landing sites met little resistance. Some of them weren't so lucky. Some of the boats never put a single man on the beach. If you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, that was Omaha that the opening scene was depicting. 101st Airborne Easy Company, if you ever saw Band of Brothers, paratroopers, they dropped in to seize positions just west of Utah. And after some of the most intense fighting in modern warfare, the Allied troops secured a foothold that within weeks allowed a million men to join the invasion of Western Europe. And these beachheads became ports to ships, bulldozers, jeeps, tanks, food, medical supplies, ammunition, and communication. See, tons of supplies were able to pour into the shore and into the war. These small Footholds along the coast of France proved pivotal in liberating France and eventually winning the war. And I share this with you, not just because I'm a war buff who loves World War II stuff, but because these battles, the battle within us, this is the same strategy that the enemy uses against us. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the enemy a little area that he can set up, that he can use for further advancement. It's that thought in your mind. It's that glance from someone that just caught your attention. The more you think about it and focus on it, man, that old nature starts to wake up, wants to take over. Come on, it's harmless. No one will ever know. Everyone else is doing it. Pretty soon, you're swept up in it. You give Satan a little piece of something and he runs with it. Next thing you know, you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. You're taking things that you shouldn't be taking. You're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. 
Things that can destroy you. Things that can destroy your family. You see, these two battles that we face, the battle around us and the battle within us, it's real. The enemy is real. Our fight has to be real. So I've talked about the enemy's strategies. What about us? How are we supposed to fight? What are we supposed to fight with? So I'm going to use our remaining time together and I'm going to share with you three weapons that the Bible says God has given to us to use to fight and to defeat our enemy. History has shown over and over that in a war, particularly in a battle, the side with the best weapons most always wins. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4 says this, Though we live in the world, we do not fight in the same way that the world fights. We fight with weapons that are different from those that the world uses. Our weapons have power from God. So what are these weapons? The first one is faith from God's Word. Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. So we get faith from God's Word. The more we read... God's Word, the more faith we're going to have. Why is this important? Because the Bible says faith moves mountains. It says faith can cause miracles. Faith can accomplish the impossible. Faith does what nobody else thinks can be done. The person who has faith achieves it and believes it. The more faith you have, the more fight you're going to have. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says, In every battle you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. The fiery arrows are those tactics that I spoke of earlier. It's when the enemy tempts you. When he tries to deceive you. When he plants a thought in your mind. When he whispers a doubt into your ear. You see, when you know the Word of God, when you've spent time in the Word of God studying it, you know the truth. You don't believe that enemy. You know who you are in Christ. You know what you're capable of with Christ. See, faith is your shield. If those arrows can't hit you, those arrows can't hurt you. Man, but you have to spend time In the Word of God, you have to spend time in the Bible. How much you read and how much you know will determine how much you fight. So faith from God's Word is a very powerful weapon. Now the second weapon at our disposal is support from God's people. Support from God's people. Psalm 
So March 28, 1990, Michael Jordan set a career high by scoring 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. During that game, a reserve for the Bulls named Stacy King was at the free throw line to shoot two free throws, where he missed one and he made the other, giving him one point for the game. Well, after the game, naturally everyone was going crazy about the great Michael Jordan scoring 69 points and all the news and all the sports writers were surrounding his locker. And across from him sat Stacy King, all by himself, getting dressed. Well, at one point, a reporter walked over to Stacy and asked, "Can you even put into words what took place tonight?" And Stacy King replied. I'll always remember this as the night Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> It's funny, but if you actually dig a tad bit deeper into this, you notice that that one point came at a crucial time, late in the game, helping to seal a 117. 113 victory. Another victory in a long line of victories that led to the Chicago Bulls winning their first ever NBA title. Now Michael Jordan was the man. I'll give you that, but he didn't win that championship all by himself. You see, there was a lot of Stacy King moments in that season where people were stepping up at various times to do their part to support the team. They all got NBA rings. No one person can win it all by themselves, and this goes for us as well. This translates over into our fight. You see, we all need support. In the battles of life, the things that we go through, God never, ever intended for us to go through life fighting on our own. No soldier has ever gone to war by himself. When he goes to war, he has a platoon, and our platoon is the church. Philippians one verse thirty says, "We are in this fight together." Man, this may mean walking through the valley with each other at times. It may mean lifting each other up in prayer, holding each other accountable for the things that we're doing. It may mean gently correcting each other at times, encouraging each other to keep going. We have to be able to cheer each other on and celebrate our victories together. You see, together we make a strong unit. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes four verse twelve: One standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And a group of three is even better. Friends, don't neglect to take advantage of what 
and who God has given you to fight with. So you get faith from God's word, support from God's people. Last, weapon number three, power from God's spirit. Power from God's Spirit. Now only Christians have this. Only believers get this one. Acts 1 verse 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment you receive Christ. So this is your seal of salvation. Once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you have access to this power. This spirit that leads us. This spirit that motivates us. This spirit that gives us confidence. This is our A-bomb. This is our atomic bomb. This is our weapon that ends wars. And yet so many people choose not to use it. It's like losing your house because you're not making the payments, but yet you have an unlimited supply of money in your checking account. You didn't tap into what you had access to. Man, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. And to think that we have the exact same power within us. And I know, I know this teaching is kind of deep today. Heck, I've battled with it for two weeks, putting it together. But I've got to do the things that God's calling me to do for what He's wanting people to hear. I know that stuff like this can be scary. Maybe it's why it's not talked about much. It can be scary, it can be uncomfortable. It's frightening sometimes to think about the things that are happening out there that we're unaware of at certain times in this battle that's taken place. They scare people away at times. You can't let fear keep you from fighting. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, you belong to God. God's Spirit is in you and He is more powerful than the Spirit that is in the world. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I taught about this armor of God a couple years ago. You can go to the JAR app and listen to it. But if you, if you read Ephesians chapter 6, which is where they talk about the armor of God, you will notice 
that in everything God gives us to fight the enemy, there's not a single piece of armor for the back. Because we're called to stand and fight. We can get scared at times. We can have doubts at times. We can have moments where things just aren't going our way and we just want to throw in the towel sometimes. We just kind of want to go through the motions. Or maybe we just want to retreat. And we're wondering, we're questioning. But man, there's too much riding on this. There is too much in your life that is riding on how you fight. You're not just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for your kids. You're fighting for your spouse. You're fighting for those closest to you. And you're fighting for God. You know the enemy. You know how the enemy fights. So use faith from God's Word, support from God's people, and power from God's Spirit, and fight. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, we come together right now as a team, as a unit, loved by you, called by you, equipped by you to stand for you. God, instill in us a desire to fight, to achieve all the amazing things that you have called each one of us to do. And to enjoy all the incredible opportunities that you have given to us. God, we thank you for these weapons God, give us courage. Give us strength. And God, if there's anyone in here today that's ready to give their life to you, join the team, let them repeat this silently to themselves. I know that I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness for things I've done. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I commit my life to Him. Confess Him as my Lord and Savior. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me and empower me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you said this prayer for the first time, one, congratulations. Feel free to come up. We're going to prayer team up here. Just come up and grab you a Bible. If anybody needs prayer, come forward for that. Know you're always loved in this place, and we'll see you next week.